Well, I get the privilege tonight of being able to share with you how the gospel is designed by God to permeate your life. It's funny, I was just thinking a moment ago, uh, we were laughing and joking earlier about uh, some of the concerts, and I was thinking, wow, I've known Jesus as my Lord and Savior for over 50 years. And it wasn't until much later in my walk with Jesus that I fully understood what the gospel meant. Last week, I listened to Will's message, and he talked to you about the great exchange of the gospel. He talked with you from Romans chapter 5, and we come back to my favorite verse in all of Scripture. People ask me, what is it? And it's this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, that's God the Father, I'm going to fill in the pronouns for you, made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that's Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's a great exchange. He gets my sin. He gets all the garbage in my life. I get the perfect record. And so when I die and stand before the eternal judge of the universe, and he says, why do I let you in my heaven? Bottom line, I don't deserve to be here. But I have faith in Jesus, and he does. And he will go, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the gospel. And that's what Will helped you grab a hold of last week. But I don't know about you, but for a lot of years, I struggled with the reality of how do I make the gospel real? You know, it's great. I I, I get that concept. But how do I make it real in my life? Here's a question I have for you. If you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected for you, How does that affect your day-to-day life, every moment of every day? Your last argument with your spouse, your last crisis at work, or let me make it really, really practical for you. Do you ever get stressed? You know, financial issues, inflation, price of gas, all these things going on right now, and you come through and you start looking at your budget, and it's like, well, we had it all nicely laid out, and then all the prices changed. This doesn't work. And then your spouse brings home a nice little trinket for you and says, hey, I know you've been having a rough day. I brought this for you. And you're like, but we don't have the money. <laughs> you know, they're trying to be nice, and suddenly you're freaking out. Or you go to work, or maybe you're a mama. And all you get to hear is glob, 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 you know, or change endless diapers. You feel like your life is not your own, that you're out of control, that everybody else gets to set your schedule. You ever feel that way? Oh, yeah, we all do. You're not weird. You're not different. It's that reality. Or at work, you keep checking on things because you know you can't trust people. You're sometimes called a control freak. You want to be in control. You want to be basically God, but you can't be. Or getting frustrated at work. You just seem to put in more and more hours and nothing seems to get done. You know, here's the reality is that you're in your life, in your moment-by-moment life, you're saying, is my God in control? Is God good? Is he sovereign? Now, I would imagine most of you here this morning, you're going, yeah, God's good. He's sovereign. But then when you get angry, you get frustrated, you get, ah! You're basically saying, no, he's not. Here's what I want you to remind you about the gospel, this true statement. You, me, 
we can find true freedom by embracing God's reign over our lives and trusting his reign to be wise and good. Come back to the hope of the gospel. What do we believe in the gospel? I have no way to be made right with this holy God of the universe. And he loved me so much he sent Jesus. It's as simple as that. And that's all it is. But living that out or living with that as a reality is a lot harder. Remember how Paul put it, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he goes on, he says, doesn't matter. First to the Jew, then to the Greek, and then Martin Luther. Remember the Reformation? This was his key verse. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I would submit to you that last part of that, the righteous shall live by faith, is the reality of how you make the gospel real each and every day, each and every moment of your life. If only Adam and Eve in the garden had had the faith they needed. Think about it for a moment, what they did. Instead of trusting God, remember God had given an instruction to Adam. You're good with everything in the garden except the one tree. That's, you know, summary of his rule, right? Adam had given that instruction to Eve, and Adam and Eve are standing in front of the tree. Go read your Bible. Yes, Adam was right there. It wasn't Eve's fault. It was Adam and Eve's fault. And what? At that moment, they could have exercised faith and said, but God said, I think we can believe God. He's good. You know, we walk with him. Genesis 3, it appears that they walked and they talked. I mean, how cool is that to be able to fellowship with the creator of the universe face to face? But see, Adam and Eve were without sin. You and I can't do that. That's why we need Jesus. But instead, this stupid serpent that's standing before them, you remember it? Genesis 3, 4, what's he say? You're not going to die. For God knows that when you get this, he's holding out on you. That's my paraphrase of that verse. And so they're like, oh. Instead of living by faith, Adam and Eve, what did they do? I'm going to take things into my own hand. I'm going to put them in my own way. Now, I begged, borrowed, and stole this from Tim Chester. He's one of uh, my favorite modern theologians and authors. And it's this. He says, behind every sin is a lie. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. And that's what happens in your life and in my life. In the day-to-day, I forget, God loved me so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son to redeem me. I have to do this or else these people won't like me. Or if I don't take control right now, if I don't act like God and get this right, everything's going to fall apart. Really? Is God sovereign? See, I fail to believe the truths of these things. You find this all through God's word. Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing to believers, and he talks about the the progression of man, which is really appropriate for our world right now, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What does the world around us do? They believe the lies of Satan who's out there going, no, 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 it's not this way. And and we're quick and easy in our sinful state to believe those lies. 
Paul writes to the Ephesians, believers like you and like me, Ephesians 4.17. He has just given all the great theology of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then in 4, it's now rubber hits the road stuff. And he says this in 4.17, I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Can I paraphrase that for you? What's the futility of our mind? The lies we believe. That's the reality. And then he goes on and he says, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. And then he just goes on and on and on. John Piper. Some of y'all familiar with him? I love how he puts it. He says, sin is unbelief. When you or I sin, when we turn away from God, at that moment, we are unbelievers. We're acting like unbelievers, and we must remember that. And here's what I want you to grab a hold of today. We sin because we believe the lie that we are better off by not believing God. That his rule at this moment in my life is oppressive. And I can be freer without God. In other words, let me just put it in really nasty terms. This sin offers me more than the glorious creator of the universe. That sounds pretty nasty, doesn't it? But that's the reality of what you and I do when we sin. Let me help you. You ever stolen something? Some people steal because they're just, they have to. Some people steal because it's like, well, if I had this, I can be cool and I can, you know? Or the whole idea of, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you're married, you think, oh, boy, if I only had this as a spouse instead of, that's adultery according to Jesus. And we could go on and on with all these things that, and most of us sitting here tonight, we go, well, I'm not, I don't like to believe lies. But think practically, over just the past week, how many lies have you believed about God? And I'm ashamed to share with you how many I actually believe on a day-to-day basis. Because every time that you do not trust God's word, you're believing something else. And that's another way of saying you're believing a lie about God. You know? Any of y'all drive? You ever get stuck in traffic and then you get, oh, that fool, he pulled... Yeah, I, you can pray for me. I'm still being sanctified in that area. You know, what is it? Uh, the right foot is the last thing of the body to be sanctified? Shh. But, you know, here's the deal. When I'm doing that and I'm driving and I see that person is seeking to attack me or whatever, no, they're just seeking their own purposes. They're not seeking to harm me. And at that moment, I believe a lie. And I get angry and think my anger is going to solve the problem. You know, really? And see, I would submit to you that if you do not have spiritual fruit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, remember Galatians 5.22? Yeah, hopefully we're teaching our kids that. We're reminding ourselves. If that spiritual fruit is not in your life on a fairly regular basis, then you are believing lies on a regular basis, and you are exhibiting the symptoms of unbelief. Back up to Galatians 5.19. Remember what he says? Oh, what are the fruits of the flesh, if I could put it that way? Jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, bitterness. And we could go on. And so either we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit or we have the fruit of the flesh. 
we need to remember that sin is unbelief. It's not believing the gospel reality that God has set me free that I can live in victory in what Christ has done. So what's the antidote? It's this. We need to realize between, behind every sin is a lie that we believe about God. I love the prophet Jeremiah. He writes in Jeremiah 17, a beautiful word picture that can help you decide where you're at. In Jeremiah 17, chapter or Chapter 17, verse 5, listen to what he says. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see any good come. He will dwell in the parched places of the wilderness on an uninhabited salt land. That's not where I want to be. It's a pretty rough place. But then in verse 7, Jeremiah 17, 7, he contrasts that with hopefully those of us who believe in God and the gospel and what he's brought to us. Listen to what he says. Blessed is that one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree that is planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And he is not anxious in the year of drought, for he does not cease to bear fruit. That's the hope of the gospel right there. And, and we hopefully have our roots deep, and what is, where's our roots to be in the Word of God? In the truth of what God has told us. Think about what Adam and Eve would have done had they just gone, time out, serpent. Can we go check with God? Or Adam, Eve, do you, do you remember what God said about this? And just ask themselves that, and they didn't, did they? In that moment, they allowed their reason and their heart to guide them, and it led them astray. You see, we must remember the hope of the gospel, that God created them so they could have relationship with him. It appears, as I read Genesis 3, that it was a common practice to walk. Remember that hymn? He walks with me and he talks with me. Not perhaps the best theology, but it, it alludes to the whole idea that God walked with his creation before we fell. And then, even when God is judging Adam and Eve, you can go read about it in Genesis chapter 3. He is cursing the ground. He's cursing the serpent. But even in the midst of the curse, because he's a holy God and he has to deal with sin, doesn't he? He can't just go, oh, that's okay. He's just, and he's holy, and he's perfect. So he has to deal with sin. Even at that moment, he gave hope. You know where the first gospel's recorded in all of God's word? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Yeah, it's right there. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I'll mind you, that's a really smoky gospel. But that's the promise of the coming Messiah. God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix what has just happened. And I'm going to provide one who will take and take care of your sin. That's the hope of the gospel. And that's the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve. And then you read the rest of the Old Testament and it unfolds more and more. And then what do we get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Jesus comes in the flesh. He is born of a virgin. He walks on this earth and he obeys his father. And as the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, he says, 
and yet without sin. He did it all. He was the second Adam, and he did it right, unlike the first Adam. And then he goes to the cross, and he offers himself to be crucified, buried, and resurrected on the three day, third day. That's the gospel. That's the hope that you and I have. It's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 on the third day. It's that hope. Now, how do we get that gospel? Remember what I shared earlier, my favorite verse? God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. All through Scripture, we've seen the previous verses, Romans 1.17. It all comes by faith. As we say, yes, God, I believe you've done that. On my behalf, it becomes ours. Hopefully, if you're a believer, you know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. It's that means that he does, that he brings us to him, and God gives us that gift because he goes on in the very next sentence and he says, this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. You don't get to boast about it. He gives you the gift of faith and you get to believe. How awesome is that? That's the hope of the gospel. And so we come down to this. Remember when I first asked the question earlier tonight? If you believe that Jesus Christ is crucified, buried, and resurrected for you, how does that affect your day-to-day life? I don't know about you, but I spent many decades going, yeah, I, 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 I'll take some time and I'll think about Jesus and then I go off and live my own life. It's like two separate things. No, it is to be by faith. In Romans, it says, from faith for faith. We're saved by faith and we continue to walk in salvation by faith. That's the heart. And so change or the difference in our life begins when we realize that the truth of God's word applies to all of life, not just when we're here at church. And so we must remember that. I love Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we have to come back. Now, I'm going to share with you and When I first did this, I took four weeks to do this. But I'm going to give you the quick and the dirty of things that will come back. And I hope that maybe Pastor Rob and Will will unpack these more for you as time goes on. But there's a passage, Psalm 62, that is so important. And I want you to grab a hold of this. It's up here. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. What an amazing truth. Now, to make the gospel real in your life moment by moment, hour by hour, here's what I want you to grab a hold of. The psalmist, we can go to Psalm 145, we can go to a couple other passages, speaks about God's greatness and his glory. Those are things that I think none of us will argue with. Notice, power belongs to God. He's great and he's glorious. The second thing the psalmist points us to here is that, oh, to you, O oh Lord, belongs steadfast love. He's good and he's gracious. So I call these, and I've begged, borrowed, and stolen from Tim Chester. He writes these, the four G's of gospel living. And there should be some cards floating around. You can have them, you know. It helps you remember those four G's. Now, I'm going to give you the, the quick Cliff Notes version because we've got just moments left to put these. 
but I want you to grab a hold of them. Number one, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Think about how often you want to be God, you want to be in control, rather than realizing God has sovereignly ordained so many things in our life that he is in control, and I don't have to freak out on it. I could say, okay, Lord, how are you working? Jesus came that I might live for you, Lord. So give me that strength and allow me to trust that you are indeed. Now, when you wonder if God's in control, just go back to the gospel. How do you know that God loves you? 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay, he's in control. I'm good. Come back to that. Secondly, God is glorious. You don't have to fear other people. There is no other being that is more glorious than God. It's amazing how many things you will do in your life because you fear people. Peer pressure, that's another word for fearing man. Things you do at work or don't do or do say or don't say because you fear others. Start fearing God more than any other thing. Realize that I want to please him more than anything else. And that will change the way you walk and live with it. Thirdly, God is good. You don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. It's amazing how many things that we look to in this life. Because God created us with a desire for good. Did you know that? As human beings, we, we do that. How many of y'all have air conditioning in your house or heater? You like good things. Hello? You're not weird. You're human. God created you that way so that you would seek him. But sin has marred that, messed it up, and we don't, do we? And so we run after every other kind of thing. We find, okay, guys with pornography, what are they doing? Oh, I don't want to have to deal with the difficulties of marriage and a marriage relationship. I'll just go shortcut, and this gives me a shortcut. I need to look to God as my goodness. He's the one who brings me goodness and privilege. Think about it this way. God is good enough to satisfy the wrath of God by sending Jesus as your substitute. God is good enough to satisfy his justice by allowing Jesus to pay your penalty on the cross. God is good enough to satisfy his holiness by allowing you the gift of faith so that all your sinning guilt is taken away. How does Paul put it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's done. It's, it's over with. Think about how good God is. And, and we look at all these trinkets of the world and run after them. We need to feast heavily on who Jesus is in the gospel. It's amazing what begins to happen when we do that. Lastly, God is gracious. So we don't have to keep proving ourselves. It's amazing. How often we seek to earn our way back to God. It's, it's part of our culture. I think the whole Roman Catholic system is heavily swayed in that area. And then the media and the world picks up on that and amplifies it. We need to come back to the sufficiency of what Christ has done. Our righteousness is found in what Christ did. Not that I do this work or that. No, I was saved to do good works my good works don't earn me squat. And so I need to remember that reality. My God is gracious. He proved that through Jesus. And now I get to serve him. I get to bring glory to him. 
It's not a have to. I don't have to earn anything. That is so freeing. If you'll take these and you can look at Psalm 145, it's one of my favorite verses, is verses 3, 5, 8, and 9. Think on these four G's of the gospel. What will happen? And what can happen if you, as a body of believers, you take these four G's and you begin to preach them one to another? You'll be amazed what begins to happen. That you can encourage a brother or a sister and go, you know what? I know you feel you've got to get that done, but remember, God's in control. He's got this. And then at other times when it's like, oh, I didn't read my Bible, and you know, I ended up getting a flat tire today, and then it's like, yeah, but is God gracious? He is, isn't he? And just because you didn't read your Bible today, he didn't send that flat tire to you. You got the flat tire because you live in a fallen world. It has nothing to do with your works or lack thereof. It's all about Jesus. And that's why the four G's for me allow me to take it in a simple form that I just memorize these and make them work. That would be my encouragement to you. Because the challenge I was given is, how does the gospel permeate your life? These four G's will allow you to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference every moment of every day. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. Why would you take a bunch of sinners like us and redeem us. We don't fully understand that, but that's what you've done. Thank you, Lord, and we, we praise you for the power of the gospel. And Lord, we ask that you will use us for your glory, for your honor, that we might be ambassadors for you. We pray all these things in your son's precious name.